So I'm in the Beyond Budgeting Roundtable conference in London, England, speaking, and I have the delight of meeting Robin Ann Fitzgerald, who is Newfoundlander, uh, who's been living in Norway since time began, so we're not sure whether she still speaks English, but she's going to have a shot at it. (laughs) We've been having some fun with that. The important thing here to know is that Robin has been in her with her company, and I'm going to ask her to introduce her company as well, but Robin has with her company gotten rid of budgeting altogether. And also, we're here to talk about some of the myths around transformation because one of the mantras I often hear when I go into organizations is about how long it's going to take, how difficult it is, and you know, and and it is definitely difficult if you use methods that don't fit the complex, you know, complexity. If you use methods that don't fit the community of interactions that are going on in companies, however, that's not necessarily true. So, Robin, let's start with, if we may, first of all, welcome to the program. Thanks for being here. Thank you. And now let's talk a bit about um, what do you, what's your company doing, and uh, and what happened when you started doing this transformational process. What are you know what are the key ingredients you used? Sure. The name of my company is Aidsiva Energy. It's a hydropower. It's predominantly a hydro hydropower production company. We have we own forty four different uh, hydropower plants. We produce electricity and distribute distribute it on the grid, on the electricity grid, and we also sell electricity to the cost to the customers in Norway. We also produce bioenergy, uh, and we also deliver broadband to customers. I began in the company in 2009. Um, I'm from, as you said, I'm from Newfoundland in Canada, and I've lived in Norway for 13 years, so my English is a little bit rusty. Uh, I have a master's in economics from Memorial University in Newfoundland. I graduated there from two th- in 2004. And I came to Norway originally to do my master's thesis with an oil company at the time. So I came here for what was supposed to be six months. Um, and then after that, I found out that I liked living in Europe. So I learned Norwegian. Uh, and then I began working at the oil taxation office in Oslo. Uh, worked there for two years. Uh, after that I began in a consultancy comp- company within oil and gas and I worked there for two years and then I be- began in Eidseva in 2009. I started as a controller and worked as a controller for different, uh, different subsidiaries uh, for many years and now I've gotten a new job, I guess you can translate it as manager for strategy and analysis and business performance. How I got into the Beyond Budgeting Roundtable uh, environment was uh, I was doing, I, in, from 2013 to 2015, I did a master's in, in performance management and leadership at the Norwegian School of Economics in Bergen. And it was in, it was Bjarte uh, Buxnes, who is the, uh, he's one of the head guys at the Beyond Budgeting Roundtable. Uh, he w- he had a um, a presentation for my class uh, at the time, so that's when we got the well. We had thought about getting rid of the budget for years and years, but that's when we really started getting going with the thoughts of getting rid of the budget. What motivated getting rid of the budget? It's it's the most intriguing decision ever, and and because most people start freaking out over oh my gosh, if you, if you don't have a budget, what do you have, and how do you know what you've spent, and and you know the 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 mind just takes off in a variety of questions. So what inspired getting rid of the budget and, and what did you replace it with? For First of all, I think the Hackett Group did a, 
they, they did a study in 2008, I think it was, where they found out that 73% of uh, American companies, 73% of American companies use three uh, months or more on, on the budget process. And we, we found, I mean, three months is, uh, it's not, of course, not three months in, like, it's spread over time, but we found that in our company, we were using even more time than three months. There were people that, for the budget process for the next year, were already starting the budget pro- process before summer vacation. So we were, in a sense, using six months on the budget. So that was one aspect of it. The other aspect of it was that we found that when we made the budget, most of the assumptions that we made for the budget were out of date even before the year started. And there was another company that did a, did a study where they found out that uh, over 50% of companies, that the assumptions for the budget were out of date before or within three to six months of, of, of setting the budget. Uh, and like I said, for us, we found out that, you know, we would make a budget with the electricity price, which electricity price we would choose an electricity price in October and say, OK, this is the price we're going to use for the budget. And then we would get to December, January, and we was like, we would see, well, the price has changed totally. So we have to update the budget. And I mean, a lot of people sitting, sitting in the board or sitting in top management think that you can just push a button and say, here's a new price and update, update the budget. But it's not that easy. So you would have people sitting with the yearly accounts trying to focus on that, and then they would get the question, well, now can you update the budget with the new electricity price? So basically, we just saw that what's the point of this, because then you would come to January, choose another, you would update the electricity price, but I mean, that price is not really any more relevant than the price that was in October. And when you come to March again, the price is just as irrelevant as it was probably the price that you chose in October. So that was another reason why we chose to uh, get rid of the budget. And the third reason, well, probably uh, there's four reasons, actually. So the third reason was that we found that the budget uh, in the company was being used for many different purposes and often purposes that were conflicting. So we were using the budget, for example, to, to set goals. And we were, but we were also using the budget for control purposes and allocation of resources. So what we saw was there could be tendencies to gaming, uh, whereas when you know that you're going to be measured against the budget for the rest of the year, sometimes even maybe your your wage was uh, your wage and your bonus was connected up to the budget, that people would, well, not necessarily purposely, but that it it leads to that you don't set ambitious goals in the budget because the worst thing that can happen is that you don't reach that you don't deliver uh, in, in terms of what the budget says you're supposed to deliver so that was the third reason we we saw that the the budget was just being used to purposes that were conflicting and the fourth reason and the final reason was that we saw that there were several studies that were actually showing that the budget was negative negatively correlated with profitability uh, especially there was a, a, a man named Trun Björnenak. Uh, he works at the Norwegian School of uh, Economics. He did a study about 81 Norwegian banks where they actually showed that uh, the banks that had budgets uh, were delivering poorer results than the banks without budgets. And of course, there's, you, can dis- you can discuss cause and effect here, but 
But when uh, we saw that there was empirical evidence that companies that didn't have the budget were more flexible and delivering better results, then that's what really was like the final nail in the coffin for the budget. So that was the back. That was the background. Wow, I'd love to see the uh, when you maybe afterwards you can send me the link to that that study because it, it, the whole question in banks right now and the financial sector is probably the most furthest behind of all the sectors in terms of what's going on in, in innovation. And so, any examples where there are other banks that are not using budgeting would be uh, really great people to have on the on this conversation. I think on this program. Yeah, and I know one. Well, the 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 one of the biggest leaders in the beyond budgeting world was. Uh, Halmedsbanken and Jan Brandit in the 70s that they got rid of the budget and they haven't had a budget since. Yeah, I think they're the only one we can so far name that most people know, but I'm hoping there's more out there. Now let's get a little bit into the transformation process because making the decision to sort of say, let's get rid of our budget could have the effect of everyone running around. Even though you've got four perfectly rational reasons, it can always run into beliefs that people have about how the world works and you know, you have to have money, you know, budgets, because if you don't, how are you going to know your profit? All those kinds of things. So what went in place of budgeting? When you pull out a budget, what, what are, was there a transition strategy? Did you, did you put something in right away? How did, that, how did you manage that whole transformation process? Because I know it's been a lot easier for you than, than the story, the belief that it's going to take a long time, be painful and difficult and so forth. All right. Well, what we did was, like I said, I, I started studying at the Norwegian School of Economics in 2013. And in 2014, uh, uh, me, uh, me and three of my colleagues, we, we were doing a paper. on. Well, first, we had the presentation from the Beyond Budgeting Roundtable. Uh, and then we decided to write a paper on my company uh, about getting rid of the budget. So this was around February, March 2014. That we started up with the work, and I said to the I said to my colleagues at the time, uh, yeah, yeah, we I mean we can try we can try and get rid of the budget in my company, but uh, I I don't think we we have any chance at uh, succeeding, but we can give it a try. So I was a little bit pessimistic to start off with. So what we did was first we started off with trying to uh, see how do other companies that are like my company. So in the electricity business, what do they use uh, as their as their tools for ensuring biz performance? And so what we did was we sent out a quest back to I think it was like 80 people within the electricity industry in different companies, uh, where we tried to find out what kind of tools do they use. What we found out was that I think. 80, over 90% of the, of the companies were using a budget. And they had few other tools that they were using uh, to ensure business performance. So after that, and after we, dis- uh, we had uh, discussions with other companies and how they use the budget, after that, what we did was uh, turned our focus on my company. So we did interviews with many, many people in the company. Uh, including people from the board, people from top management, and people that were producing the budgets. So typically it's like bosses that are, I don't know what it's called, uh, um, uh, bosses that are making the budgets. Uh, so we, we, we sat down at least an hour with each person, and maybe we interviewed probably 25, 30 different people, uh, and asked them, 
how they how they experience the process, how they experience the use of the budget, and and started you know kind of like softening them up with the thought of getting rid of the budget. And we were pleasantly surprised actually that many people in the company were negative to the budget because I I was I was fearful that people would would express fear in getting rid of the budget and that they they felt that it was a good tool but actually most people felt that the budget wasn't a good tool so after we talked to all these people then we looked at okay what other tools does the company have in place if we get rid of the budget and we can come back to that what we do instead so we looked at what other tools we had and we found out that we had like 10 different tools in the company for ensuring business management so i of performance management. So I think in a sense that made it easier for us to get rid of the budget because we had so many other tools in place. And after that, I mean, so at, in June we were finished with the paper and and passed it in. And uh, and then after the, when we came back from summer vacation in, in August, uh, it only took more than maybe a month to get the decision. Uh, we went right up straight up to the board to get the decision on the on getting rid of the budget for that for 2015. So let, let me interject here and just uh, get, do a little exploration because the, the fascinating thing is you've, you've interviewed everybody, so everybody's engaged in the conversation. You've already got that activated, which is a fantastic way to start because otherwise the decision comes down and people go, what the, you know, what just happened? I, you know, I didn't get to say anything. How did the people who actually are making the budget, you know, from because this is the place that could theoretically be the most threatened, they're, they're immersed in it, it's their jobs. How did they feel about it and, and where did they shift to in, this, in the uh, process of, you know, I'm in charge of making the budget too, I don't, I'm not in charge of making the budget. There is no budget. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think I think there are people were some people were positive, some people were negative. Not negative in the sense that I think it was more fear of losing control. But what we fo- what we focused on in the discussions was was uh, minimizing that fear and trying to explain to them. Well, first, what, like I said in, in in the introduction, trying to explain to them why the reasons, the four reasons that we saw that we wanted to try something new and trying to explain to them what we would do instead. And I think when they saw that, oh yeah, we do have a lot of tools here instead, maybe it's not a huge crisis if we cut out one of those tools. And maybe it'll actually be, it'll actually be a relief in a sense to get rid of something that we, and some people say, well, I felt like, all I was doing in the quarterly reporting was just copying and pasting the same thing that we said last time, because it was you were constantly preparing to comparing to something that was at a date. So I think it's I think it was about focusing on about going in, in dialogue with everybody that like all the stakeholders at different levels, and com- and explaining to them and then trying to minimize that fear. So I think it's yeah I think it's really about just making it simple and and not making the process too complicated and i think what it what it was in a sense and what we did was we just said well okay what's the worst that can happen let's cut out the budget for 2015 uh, we'll explain what we'll do instead and the worst thing that can, we're not going to our company is not going to go bankrupt after one year people don't and people don't forget how to budget 
So if we, if after one year, if it does, if we don't succeed, if we see that costs are rising, or if we see that income is falling, then the worst that we'll just begin to budget again next year. Yeah. So great. You did, the first thing is you you engage the social system in the conversation, and and then secondly, you treat it as as an experiment, not a pilot. Not a pilot. No, not a pilot. No, because it was full out. We're getting rid of the budget. It wasn't a pilot. Uh, but it was an experiment. Yeah, that was a good word. It was like, and, it, and it was really an experiment. Let's see, what, let's see what happens and what's the worst that can happen. So I know that the minds in the back of my head would be going something like, well, did they lose their jobs? Yeah, the people that, oh, you mean the people making the budget? Correct. Ah, no. Oh, yeah, that's a good point because we were very clear in that, yeah, budgeting takes a lot of time, but we're not doing this to downsize. We're not doing this to get rid of people. We're doing this because I found that economists in my company were using 80% of their time to look backwards and 20% of their time to look forwards. Whereas I was using 80% of my time the other way. And I wanted more people in that, in that group. Excellent. That's what we were saying. That's what we focused really on that we're trying to, uh, turn the focus to looking forward and least least amount of time looking backward. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Now, how do you know, now that, that, now that this is, because it's a two, two years, at least two years in, correct? Three years now without the budget. Yeah, three, <laughs> I love that. How do you, what, what does the company measure value creation by? What's the lens that you use now? Well, what we saw when we were doing the, when we were doing the paper, we saw that our company had a lot of tools already in place. And I think that, like I said, that was an advantage. So, so maybe if you're another company starting out where the only thing you have is a budget, maybe it's easier if you implement some other tools before you cut out the budget. Uh, so we had, you know, we had strategy plans, we had action plans, we had the balanced scorecard, we had benchmarking, we had the account, we had the the books, we had, you know, profit and loss, balance sheet, income statement. Uh, we had forecasts, we had profitability analysis, we had long-term, um, long-term forecasts for 15 years, and we had uh, risk analysis. So the only thing that we were talking about cutting out was the yearly budget and the yearly investment budget. So of, say, 10, 10 uh, tools that we had, we were going to cut out two of them. We have quarterly reporting to to the board in our company, uh, and what we do is we we have the of course quarterly we 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 have the books quarterly, so we have the profit statement and the the income statement and the the balance sheet. Uh, we have that year to date compared to same period of last year. In addition, we have forecasting. And when I say forecasting, because I always, I always, I often get met with, yeah, but that's just the emperor's new clothes. It's like the budget four times a year. When, I, when I'm talking about forecasting, I'm talking about more top-down forecasting. Which, what are the key drivers uh, for the different businesses in our group, and, and not bottom-up budgeting. So maybe you, 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 you use maybe a day on making the forecast as a compare, and compared to using several months on making the budget. So we have forecasting for this year, uh, and we still do for the year. To- we don't do like a co- rolling, co- rolling, rolling forecast. We do the, the year, mostly because uh, our owners are municipalities, and they operate on like a yearly. They have their budgets, 
So we found that maybe a rolling forecast would be a little bit confusing for them. So we kept the year uh, forecast for the year and forecast and a more detailed forecast for next year. So we have forecasts one to two years. In addition to this, we have forecasts, which I work a lot with, forecasts 15 years, because you have to remember my business is a really long-term type of business. When you're going to invest in a, in a hydropower plant that's going to be there for 100 years, you have to, you have to think really long-term. So we have a, basically, it's, it's no more complicated than an Excel model uh, that does simulations 15 years uh, forward in time. And that we update that with prices, electricity prices, um, electricity certificate prices, interest rates, cost uh, forecasts. We update that quarterly. So we have, okay, one to two year prognosis, but, but forecast and a 15 year forecast. In addition, we have the balanced scorecard. Uh, and how we do it in my company is that we have, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the balanced scorecard. I, I know of it. I have not used it myself, but I know okay. of it, of course. Yeah. The balanced scorecard is basically, it's um, one sheet where you have different uh, KPIs, key performance indicators, uh, that, that measure different aspects. So you have the financial aspect, you have uh, quality and business processes. You have the customer aspect, and then you have the more uh, organizational, human, human, uh, like human aspects of it. In our company, we have four different business units, and each business unit has their own balanced scorecard that they follow up. And then the group has, which where I work in the mother company, we have also our own balanced scorecard. And then people always ask me, yeah, but how many KPIs do you have? I bet you have like 30 KPIs for the whole for the whole like, group. And I was like, no, actually, we only have about 10 KPIs that we follow up. So it's quite manageable. I'm really glad to hear this because was, it was a question I was going to ask you before. And because one, sometimes these companies get massive numbers. They start getting KPIs at levels that nobody needs KPIs at. Because they're measuring quantity, they're not looking at the goal orientation. What I appreciate about what you've been saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's almost like the, sh the company focus has shifted to achieving goals versus achieving all these little micro indicators. Yeah, exactly. So we we have focus, and, and we make we we update our balance scorecard yearly. You can, in a sense, compare it to the budget. But what we say is that if we find out through the throughout the year that one of the KPIs is, is not relevant or it's not it's not important anymore we actually have the freedom to get rid of it or take it out of the, the balance scorecard if we feel that it's the right decision to do. But with the sense that our business is so long-term, we haven't really experienced yet that we had to take out one of the KPIs. But what we do focus on is not having too many because when you have too many, then you lose focus and you start micromanaging like you're, like you're talking about. So we try and find key drivers that represent all of the different, the four different business units and then aggregate that up so that the, the, the leadership, the management at the top can have focus for the, on the key drivers for the entire group. Excellent. Now, what, how, how is this approach you took? How, does, how have you noticed it's changed either decision-making or leadership in the company? Any, any shift in the dynamics there? One of the important things is more people are looking forward than back. And I, I experienced that we're more... Uh, we're more agile. Uh, we can take, we can make decisions uh, quicker because we have other tools. We we can go in and say, okay, 
we don't have an investment budget. I, I'm shocked every time someone tells me that they have an investment budget where they're like, okay, we're going to invest in these. I mean, if we did it in our company, we're, this is the this is the if we did it once a year, where this is the different investments that we're going to make each year instead of okay, when you get closer to making the investment decision, that you put that investment decision in in an Excel model, as an example, with updated costs, uh, updated income forecasts, updated prices, updated interest rates, and you can see how does that affect uh, our, our, our key figures, how does it affect uh, our forecast in the long term, uh, how does it affect our uh, ability to loan, uh, borrow money from the banks, what do they say about, you know, how how we stress test it pretty much against our results. So I think it's made decision making. I think instead of focusing on, because when I when I started in the company, we didn't have this long term. We had long term focus in on the engineer side, people bigging, building the the hydropower plants. We didn't have long term focus on the economic side. I think. I think we were very focus on just this year, delivering this year. Now we have much more long-term focus also on the economical side. Now you've got bioenergy in your mix of, of things. Did that emerge as a consequence of this? Uh, no, we had, we had bioenergy uh, before the budget, before we got rid of the budget. And, and so it does sound like it's enabled the company to pivot its focus from looking back to looking forward. Any other uh, ben- unexpected bonuses that you've observed? You know, I think the one benefit is that before when we had the budget, when we were going, especially, uh, and you have to take into account that a ma- an investment decision for us is quite an, an important decision because it could be several hundred million Norwegian kroner in a decision. And I think before we were doing that in a sense, we were making decisions almost blindly because we didn't see how we couldn't we didn't have the ability to see because we were just focusing on this year we didn't have the ability to see okay if we invest in this hydropower plant or this uh, we also have wind power uh, if we invest in this and it's going to be there for 25 50 100 years we would look at the analysis we would do an investment analysis for that concrete project that exact project, but we couldn't see how it affected the entire group. So now we have the ability to put that single investment in our plan for the entire group, our long team, our long-term model, and see how it affects our key figures. We didn't have that ability before. Before we were like, okay, do we have the money? Is the present value, is the net present value positive? Then do it. If it's not positive, then don't do it. Whereas now we have the ability, and, and also this is very important when the power prices have fallen the last few years, we have the ability to see it as a whole and prioritize investments. So even though the net present value is positive, doesn't necessarily mean that we can invest in it because if, we, if, it, if it causes our uh, interest costs to go up because we're pressed with regards to borrowing money from the bank, we have now the ability to see how does it affect, how does that one investment affect the entire group? So we have the ability now to prioritize our investments. Yeah, so it sounds like you move from a fairly narrow frame into something that gives you a more of a systemic view of what's going on for the company. I love that. 
Hmm. From a decision-making point of view, it's brilliant. It just gives you much more to work with. Yeah. And like I said, I think I'm a little bit schizophrenic, actually, with regards to the balanced scorecard. Uh, going a little bit back and forth, because sometimes uh, the balanced scorecard can, can also be a dangerous tool, in a sense, because you can you can get... you can. F- Trying to find KPIs that fit into these four different groups in the balanced scorecard, it can be difficult to find relevant KPIs, and you're almost finding KPIs just to find them, just to have the four different groups. Uh, and then you can also get in the sense where you're finding KPIs that are a little bit, that's the budget for that KPI for next year. So I've, I've kind of like toyed with the idea of suggesting for a top management to get it, getting rid of the balanced scorecard and just having just having uh, forecasting, but I'm a little bit I'm a little bit fearful. And if I suggest because I think the board really likes the balanced scorecard because it gives them it gives them an uh, like a an eagle eye view of how the business is going. I'm a little bit afraid that if I suggest getting rid of the balanced scorecard that they'll say, well, we have to take the budget back. <laughs> so I haven't done it yet. Yeah, understandable. And I think that our balanced scorecard, in a sense, as long as we manage to keep it to maximum 10, 12 KPIs for the entire group. I think that's that's complicated enough and it's detailed enough, so it's not taking a lot of time to, to produce. So, I mean, I, I think it works for us. And I think that I think that when the board looks at the balance scorecard, they can say, they can say, see, okay, how are sales going? How are, how are our costs developing? You can even see how you know how 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 satisfied are the people, the employees working in the company. And you can see seek from what's it called uh, sick leave. That's one of the KPIs that we have: uh, customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction. So you can see a broad specter of of the business of the business, and not just focus on the financials. Any tips you'd like to give companies that are listening to our conversation on making this move in a way that is not difficult and you know all of the the uh, the myth mythology that goes with change yeah well i think i've i've been participating in the beyond budgeting roundtable for the last few years and i've been speaking to especially a lot of norwegian companies that have been talking about making the change getting rid of the budget and i i and i really believe the fact that there's, a, there's 12 beyond budgeting principles and maybe half of them go are about what you do on the reporting side, but half of them are also about what you do on the leadership side. And I think they're really intertwined. But in the sense, I think that if if you're so focused on trying to make a plan for every little thing that's going to happen, you won't take the baby steps. Because I see that I'm meeting the same companies over and over and I'm, I'm getting frustrated. I was like, you still have the budget. Maybe could you, you could just try cutting it out. I'm a little bit frustrated that people, I think maybe they feel that they have to have such a big plan and they have to have a plan for everything everything that could happen that they're just not getting started. So in a sense, it's like, okay, choose choose the the most important tools for your company and suggest for the board that we, we just try it for a year and see how it goes. And I guarantee them that they won't miss it because now we're three years without the budget and we haven't missed it. And I really think we won't go back, at least not as long as I'm working here. <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest, uh, going back to looking at the past will completely prepare you for failure because there's absolutely no way that looking at the past predicts what the future will look like at this point in time. So, anything else? 
yeah, communication. This is a question that I uh, uh, how did we communicate? Uh, how did we communicate to the because there's a thousand com a thousand people that work in my in, work in my company. A lot of people ask me, how did you communicate to the entire organization that you're getting rid of the budget? And the simple question is, we didn't. We didn't tell everybody. And I, I bet if you ask people, a lot of people still work that work in the company. A lot of a lot of the men and women that are working out on the hydropower plants and making sure that they're running optimally, they don't even know that we don't have a budget. We didn't go out with an internet news news bulletin that we're cutting out the budget. What we did was the key stakeholders, the people that needed to know, knew that we were cutting out the budget and going over to simple, simpler forecasts. And otherwise, we didn't communicate it. We didn't make a big deal out of it because we wanted to minimize the fear. Yeah. So we said, well, let's not just let's not make a big deal out of this. And I, I would actually really strongly recommend that for others, because if you if you if you know think of big companies, twenty thousand, thirty thousand employees, you don't you can't you can't create understanding uh, of the the change that you're making for everybody. So just focus on the key stakeholders. Perfect, excellent. Well, thank you, Robin. I I love the conversation. Thank you for being on the program. Yeah, I noticed that my English was was wasn't perfect, but uh. I did my best. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable that you can lose your mother tongue, but that's just the way it goes when you speak another language all the time. It's excellent. No problem at all. That was fantastic. Thank you very much. You are listening to the Insight to Action podcast. My name is Donna Jones. I'm the host. My work involves deep dynamics and providing the insights that help decision makers and leaders move up levels and more advanced skills to work with the complexity and the uncertainty of today's world. I also do a lot of work in the area of innovation for change, particularly transformation, so that it's much more fun, less effort, and faster with better results overall. I tend to work with early adopters because we are experimenting uh, to find out what's going to work best for everyone. You can find me on Insight to Action, uh, sorry, from InsightToAction.com, on Twitter at EP. E-A-W-N-A underscore Jones, uh, or on LinkedIn. And uh, I also wrote Decision Making for Dummies and have a chapter in the Intelligence of the Cosmos on Deep Dynamics. So thanks for joining me. Hope you enjoyed the program. Share, get a, help me get the word out. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much.